Welcome to the Drop-Off. Epic conversations about the workforce of today and the talent of tomorrow. Featuring candid, pointed conversations with influential business leaders. Here's your host, Nicole Real. Thanks for joining us today on The Drop-Off. I'm Nicole Real, and today we have something a little different in store for you than our past episodes. Today's episode will be a conversation about Epic's policy work, and I'll be joined by Beth Melton. Beth is an early childhood policy consultant, and she works closely with the Epic team, advising us on policy to support us and advocating for early childhood on behalf of the business community. It's also going to be a little bit different because Beth might be asking me some questions today. We're going to have a really great dialogue and dig into the nuts and bolts of policy. So I'm super excited for this conversation and welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thanks, Nicole. It's great to be here. All right. Well, we're going to start with talking about you a little bit. Of course, I've had the benefit of getting to know you over the past, I guess, couple of years now. Um, But would you mind sharing with our listening audience a little bit more about your professional background and experience? I actually started my career in K-12 education as a classroom teacher in um, Adams County, Colorado, and spent several years there um, and then moved to Steamboat Springs to work for the Northwest Colorado Board of Cooperative Educational Services. That acronym is BOCES. We love acronyms in education. And uh, yeah. So at the Northwest BOCES, I ran several federal grants supporting teachers and administrators and school districts with their professional development, literacy instruction, and a whole range of things. And then I decided in 2018 that I would run for office. A lot of that had to do with childcare, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about, but I was really interested in serving my community as a county commissioner. And so from 2018 to 2022, so through the height of the COVID-19 pandemic and the explosion of our childcare crisis, served as a county commissioner in Route County, Colorado in Steamboat Springs. For the past year, after I opted not to run for re-election, I have spent Um, the past year working with Epic and with other organizations um, around crafting and implementing policy solutions for childcare. So a winding journey, but one that uh, has led me to a great place. Yeah, well, that's a super fun story. And, you know, like, uh, like you, many of us also have that background in teaching in some way, shape or form, having been in the classroom, having seen it firsthand, and then you know, having that journey that takes some wild twists and turns along the way. You know, I'm just going to say that you probably were in a county commissioner position in some of the toughest years that county commissioners, you know, had in terms of what their job entailed with the pandemic and, you know, all of the stress and change and, you know, public health emergency, right? I mean, there's a lot going on there. So I'm curious to get into that a little bit too, because I'd love to learn from your perspective, what you felt like was the most surprising thing being a county commissioner and seeing that from a totally different perspective firsthand. And also like, what do you feel like you learned and then ultimately brought to the work that you're doing now, which we'll talk about in a little bit too. Obviously I was not expecting to be dealing with a global pandemic during my term as county commissioner. Surprise. Um, (laughs) 
Right, right. But, you know, what I would say is that I went into that position with a real love and appreciation for local government and the role of local government and the importance of local government. That just deepened, I think, as I went through the pandemic and especially and through my term, but especially recognizing the importance of local public health, community public health and of solutions that really originate at the local level. And I think that is reflected often in childcare policy as well. There just are so many things that we can do well um, at a local level if you have leaders who are really motivated to make a difference. And I think you and I see that, Nicole, in our work with cities and with counties on early childhood policy. When I started my term, I brushed up on local office and local government by re-watching Parks and Rec. I don't know if you've seen that show. <laughs> um, and through the pandemic- when it comes I, to the rescue on brushing up on local government. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think through a lot of the pandemic, I felt like I had to channel my inner Leslie Nope in just having- kind of unrelenting optimism and enthusiasm for the work we were doing and the difference we could make in people's lives. And I think all of that really informs the work I do now. I know you and I often talk about like the implementation side of these policies. And I think often folks who are doing policy work um, have a lot of great ideas. And also there's a lot to gain by having some experience on the team of folks who have actually been on the ground trying to do the work and trying to make these things happen. And so um, I think that my experience implementing and the governance side of things, the like, how do we really turn this from something that we wrote down on paper and sounded really nice into an actual program or policy, I really think I learned a lot about what that looks like and that informs the work um, that I do around policy. Yeah, that's a great point because you can have, you know, really well-intended policy that at an execution level just does not work at all, right? And you end up having unintended consequences. So I think it's great that you have that background, having, you know, worked with community partners and constituents uh, and implementers in local government to understand, you know, what that really looks like if you're developing a big program or a big model and, you know, then you have a, a local community implementing that, it's pretty customized and certainly something that, you know, can oftentimes look different when you're, than when you're talking about it at the state capitol or, you know, or kind of theoretically with partners, at least. We, you know, of course, met when you were actually a county commissioner and, you know, Epic was doing some work in Steamboat Springs and with Route County. So, you know, we had the serendipity of meeting and getting the chance to work together then. And I'm curious now, like, why are you working with Epic? You know, you have so much to offer and we love working together, but I'm, I'd love to hear from you. Like, what do you see as Epic's role and, you know, why is this important to you? I think Epic has a really unique opportunity to bridge between the early childhood community and the business community. And we see that happening in a lot of ways. And I know we'll probably talk about our policy priorities a little bit here in a few minutes. But I, one of the things that really stands out to me is that we think about how in Colorado and in the U.S. in general, we have this model for um, early childhood education 
that is primarily delivered by the private sector. There, of course, are differing opinions about whether that's the best model or not, but the reality is it's the model we have. And I think Epic, as an organization of business leaders, really brings a lot to the table in terms of understanding that, seeing childcare providers as uh, business owners, thinking about some of the ways we need to approach policy and advocacy as supporting these small business owners to help their businesses be viable, because we know that ultimately that is the infrastructure that's supporting families in our communities. So I think that's really critical. Um, I also really appreciate that um, I think Epic brings a really pragmatic lens to early childhood policy. There are a lot of organizations doing a lot of really great work out there. And like we were just talking about when it comes to the implementation stage of that, I think it's just so important to see that the best solution is the one that's actually going to help the most people as quickly as possible, in my opinion. You know, I think we also need to be working on long-term, big, large-scale fixes. But if I'm a parent who doesn't have childcare, a solution seven years from now doesn't actually help me because I won't need childcare anymore. And so I appreciate, Nicole, that you and I, I think, share a really pragmatic perspective <laughs> on just how we get this done and how we support families. And then the third thing I would say is that childcare has always been a really important issue to me as an economic issue and a business issue and an economic development issue. And that's a perspective that Epic certainly shares and that I think is really important for the conversation in part because I think it builds a bridge between the political parties, between um, people who may, you know, who may differ politically, but everybody can sort of appreciate, like, we need parents to have a place for their kids to go so they can work, right? Right, And, And so I think that piece of it is really motivates me around the work that that we do together. Well, I'd love happy to say too. it motivates me too. So. <laughs> I want to I want to ask you a question. I want yeah. what do what do you think Epic's role is in the policy space? The the power and I think the effectiveness of Epic comes from the business leaders we work with and through in Epic because you know, we know that business leaders and employers in particular have uh, really influential platforms, right? They they hold power in what they say and what they put their words and frankly, their financial resources behind as well. And so part of, you know, the power of Epic and really why we were created and exist in the first place is we want to leverage that influence, that leadership, and that social capital that businesses bring to the conversation. So that is what truly makes Epic unique is that, you know, these are business leaders from industries that are largely unrelated to early childhood. You know, most of them are in entirely different industries. Most people would say that they have really no, you know, direct, uh, you know, benefit or, you know, vested interest in advocating for some of these investments. Of course, they see that indirectly and they see that investing in early childhood has this long-term impact on our, you know, future workforce and children's future success, but also a more, you know, short-term and immediate 
a near-term impact on attracting and retaining great talent and supporting the current workforce. Um, but they're not there to advocate for funding that's going to impact their bottom line specifically, right? And I think there's power in that at the state capitol. There's power in a well-known CEO who, you know, employs with their company, you know, perhaps hundreds or even tens or thousands of people to say, hey, this is a priority for me. I'm taking time out of my day to either advocate for this or, you know, testify in support of a bill or call a legislator or, you know, lift lift our voice and our, you know, company's uh, priorities around this. So I think that's really where our impact comes from. And, you know, the flip side of that is that, of course, there are a lot of issues and a lot of conversations happening at our state capitol that are related to young children and families. And one of the things we have to do is think about how we carve out our core priorities and what we really have the the bandwidth to focus on. Because I think if we focused on every bill that covered young children and their families, uh, we would need a lot more people and it would be a very busy job. And so part of what we do every year is really take the time to refine and hone in on, you know, what those policy and advocacy priorities are for EPIC and our members. And we have a policy committee in EPIC that is comprised of both EPIC board members, as well as some of our key policy partners and also EPIC executive members to really help drive that. Um, so I'd love to, you know, dive into that too. And we can talk about you know, what our priorities are for 2024. We're starting to um, finalize and shape those for this next year. We have a really good sense of what that's going to be. And um, we'll have some final votes happening here in the next month. But let's let's walk through that, Beth, and maybe we can start on the first one and talk about what this means. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as you said, there are so many opportunities to advocate for children and families at the state capitol and to weigh in. And so um, with EPIC, we really wanted to hone in on what are the most important things to your board, to your members, um, and that we think are going to move the needle on early childhood aligned with the values that EPIC brings to the table. Uh, the first is, you know, a pretty broad statement about advocating for policies that support children's development and the needs of working families. Um, but I think the really important thing to underscore there is that for EPIC, this really is about supporting working families um, and supporting people's ability to go to work and create a system that works for families. And so I know we talk a lot about mixed delivery, about how programs like universal pre-K can be accessible for families and implemented in a way that supports providers and really having access to childcare resources that meet the whole range of needs that families have. You do a really good job talking about mixed delivery and why, what it is and why it's so important. It's a little jargony, I think, within our early childhood space, but maybe you could just explain for folks what that is and why Epic is so committed to that system. Yeah, that's that's a great great question. So, mixed delivery in in essence is really honoring the varied needs and choices that families want to make when it comes to early childhood experiences for their children. You know, when we think about selecting high-quality childcare and or preschool experiences for children, oftentimes 
More often than not, families are engaged in the workforce and are looking for something that is not only going to give their child that opportunity for their growth and development, but also cares for their child throughout the day so that they can participate in the workforce. And that's often a layered approach that they may take. You know, they and they are they're going to choose different environments and settings for different reasons. So you might have a family that chooses a family child care home program because they sometimes work a second or third shift and they may need care on evenings or weekends. And that family child care home provider can provide an excellent preschool experience, but they can also care for their children at those hours that they need care. Uh, you know, they may choose a community-based preschool program, or they might choose a public school program, right? So mixed delivery is just a way of saying that we wanted to make sure that the system was designed so that you had a variety of care and early education choices that families could choose from to really match their family's needs and their child's needs as well. So, you know, perhaps they have a child who needs a little bit more one-on-one support or, you know, has special services that they might be receiving, or maybe they have cultural or language preferences, and there's a particular um, preschool provider and environment that would be better for them than another. So, you know, that's where I think Colorado has been really a pioneer in developing universal preschool, because we have very much designed the system to honor those varied needs and choices that families need to make so that they can layer you know, preschool and early education, childcare needs for their family and think about what that looks like. And think about how do we make it user-friendly? Because that's also really key. How do we help families, you know, make this a process that they can do while sitting down for 10 to 15 minutes, right, on their phone? Because it's it's busy, right? Life is crazy. It's got to be easy to use and easy for them to navigate. And same goes for the providers using that system as well. Yeah, absolutely. And as we have found through our work together, there continues to be an ongoing need to talk about mixed delivery and why it's important and why it's important for families. Um, And so I think Epic is doing a great job of really bringing that voice to the table in these conversations because as you know, you mentioned family childcare. If I'm if I'm a person who owns a family childcare business, I'm probably with kids nine or ten hours a day, and then oh. I'm trying to do all the business activities after work. Um, and certainly, Epic doesn't speak, you know, exclusively on behalf of those organizations, but there's not always the capacity to bring those voices to the table. And so I think Epic does a good job of amplifying the voices of those business owners, those small business owners who are running childcare um, businesses to help support them. Yeah, absolutely. And business leaders can bring those lenses of, you know, how do we utilize maybe, um, you know, innovations and, you know, new ideas to, developing these systems in Colorado as well. So, you know, they bring a different lens and perspective to the process, even from the policy side of things. And again, as we're thinking about implementation, really think about what that's going to look like. Absolutely. So the second priority that we laid out together is around advocating for investments in childcare infrastructure to support and grow the economy. And so within that priority, we really think about something we talked about earlier, which is 
how critical childcare is for economic development and growth in Colorado, really anywhere, but obviously we're we're focused in Colorado at this point. And and then the second part of that is about calling it childcare infrastructure. And I think we've had a lot of discussions and have been doing a lot of work around thinking about the physical spaces that house childcare and having some focus on those things. In this space, we really think about how we can incentivize and support employers and developers, anyone who owns land or a building, governments, and really any community partners to invest in these physical spaces to house childcare, these facilities. And that's thinking about real estate solutions, financial resources, really looking also at regulatory barriers that may create additional challenges to entry for folks. I know one of the spaces we've looked at there is thinking about the opportunities that exist with co-locating childcare with affordable housing. And maybe you could talk a little bit about why we see that as such a great opportunity and kind of what's needed to make that more feasible. Well, you know, this whole priority for us is coming from the knowledge that we know for economies to grow, industry has to grow. For industry to grow, workforce has to grow. For workforce to grow, we have to have childcare, period. Right? That is a that's a full statement and something that we want to see our communities fully embrace and understand and plan around both in the short term and the long term. You know, of course, we know housing is a really hot topic right now. It's something that I think it's fair to say, you know, every employer local government, community, et cetera, is also talking about affordable housing right now and attainable housing. And, you know, I think one of the big things to keep in mind there is, you know, first off, fundamentally, the pandemic has certainly changed, I believe, the way that we'll develop our communities moving forward forever and is, you know, much more of a place-based thought process now so that we think about how do we build our cities and communities so that people can, you know, live, work, and play in those communities. And it's amazing that our communities are looking at solutions for attainable and affordable housing. And at the same time, if you're building housing for, say, 500 new families, you know, or 500 new units, let's just say, right? Those, you know, those big humans that you're going to put in those units come with little humans too and children, right? And we want to make sure that, you know, families can move into those, those housing developments and that those families have access to the services they're going to need so that they can, you know, pay their bills, right? And participate in the workforce. And childcare is going to be one of those critically important pieces of that. Um, so that's really important in terms of thinking about, you know, not only do we design our communities so that people can live, play, work in those kind of place-based locations, but also keeping in mind that anytime we're planning for population growth and an increase in people moving into housing, we should also be planning for the young children who are going to come with them or the young children who will hopefully be born right? Because we need to make sure that families continue to have children as well. Um, and that we are thinking about how to be really family-friendly communities. 
Yeah, I think those are great points. And I think if you live in the Denver metro area, it may be hard to fully appreciate the scale of what that looks like for a rural community. So we have communities in Colorado where, I mean, Route County is a great example. You have a birth rate of about 200 per year, and the number of licensed spots for infants and toddlers is like less than 20, you know? Yeah. And in, that's, in the, that's like a huge, like that's a huge difference. Right. right? right. I mean, where entire, are those babies going? <laughs> the entire county, that's all you have, you know? And so I think while the, the childcare shortage is acute everywhere in the state, when you can really look at it in these very small communities, you, it's very, it's visible because you can count how many spots there are and how many babies there are and see how huge the difference is. Yeah. So, And I'm super excited that we have a new report we've been working on that people will be able to read that really dives into this more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm excited for us to think of, for us to share out the ideas from that report and really help people understand um, how the regulatory environment can support childcare uh, in a little bit better way, as well as thinking about financing and some of the mechanisms for that and help childcare be a priority for communities in the way that housing is, right? That when we're thinking about the physical right. infrastructure of our communities, we want to think about not just housing and not and roads and bridges and parks, but also childcare and where that will be and how it will help support families. So our third, the third priority that we have identified is around advocating for policies that recognize and stabilize early childhood small businesses. And this is back to um, what we were talking about a little bit earlier, where Epic really recognizes that childcare is largely private sector in the United States. And um, so it is being uh, with a few exceptions, you know, these are very small businesses with maybe only a handful of employees. And um, we want to think about how uh, we support those organizations to provide this critical service. And so part of that is helping to speak for and with um, these business owners um, and then really ensuring that we have systems that are designed to stabilize and support them. And so those are business supports, technical assistance, incentives um, around entering the sector and remaining in the industry as a provider. We've lost... Right. Like workforce development is so important for this industry. Exactly. Exactly. We can't just build centers that don't have right. people there. You can't yeah. just put a bunch of babies in a room and hope they take care of themselves. We need career pathways, workforce development. We also need to appreciate the needs of these organizations or these businesses as um, as business owners. And, you know, we've had a huge loss of family child care in Colorado. And, you know, people are leaving the field and there aren't enough people coming in behind them. So we talk a lot about the staff in centers, but also it's important to recognize these in-home care situations where we also have not retained the workforce that we used to have. Yeah. yeah, so Epic is very committed to making sure that we're 
thinking about the provider in order to support the sector and support the availability of childcare. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a yes and, you know, solution, right? We need to make sure that we are supporting this industry. We're supporting the professionals and the educators in this field. We're building them up and also alleviating any barriers to entry that exist because it can be difficult. And the reality is that, you know, you have to be pretty darn determined sometimes to successfully open up a childcare business right now. And we can do things to make that easier in our state. And so, you know, part of this work is thinking about how do we do that? You know, how do we bring all of the partners on board to say, yes, like there, there are things we can do to make this better and make this easier. It reminds me of um, in this forthcoming white paper, we have um, a case study outlined of an amazing um, entrepreneur in Colorado, a woman who's really has been interested in opening childcare for quite a while. And um, just the barriers that she's encountered and the number of different locations she's had to consider, the number of years it's taken her to navigate through the process and, you know, her lack of access to capital to support the development of her business um, the amount of money she's had to spend out of pocket. And so um, mm-hmm. that's a little teaser for, for our white paper. But I think, you know, the we hear these stories from providers about what they're experiencing. Um, and we have to recognize that that is a part of what's driving these shortages is that it is people are not incentivized to enter the industry for a number of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited about what's to come in, you know, the the next year for our advocacy and our policy work at Epic. Thrilled to have you working by our side, Beth, on this work and, you know, excited to see hopefully some of the positive impacts and outcomes uh, that we'll see as a result of the continued advocacy and policy work that we're doing. So Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. This was so much fun. Uh, Obviously, we hope that people do read the white paper that we're releasing and get involved in this policy and advocacy work with us. So reach out if you have questions. And thanks for joining us on The Drop-Off today. And thank you, Beth. Yeah, thank you, Nicole. The Drop-Off is a production of Executives Partnering to Invest in Children. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about our organization, visit coloradoepic.org.